Hello, welcome back if you are listening from another podcast and welcome for the first time if um, it is your first time. So I'd said to myself that I was going to do 12 podcasts this year and I don't actually even reckon I've done one. Oh no, except for the except for the one that I did I think in January. So don't reckon I'm going to do 12 but here is the second one for this year. So this one's going to be about the process that um, that light takes to get from sort of the external environment out into um, the solar from the solar system or the galaxy, I guess you could say as well, um, into Earth and then and then how we process light. So it's a pretty interesting and and pretty important thing to know as well. Definitely interesting. Um, so starting with like a cosmic beginning, obviously. For our solar system, it starts with the sun. And if you didn't already know, the sun is just a named star. So it's not really overly significant um, compared to other stars that are out in the galaxy. But um, aside from the fact that uh, it maintains life on Earth. So obviously it has significance for us, but um, there's nothing special in terms of its function compared to other stars. So we've named it the sun. So what it does, and um, this isn't my area of um, expertise or even the area that I'm studying in, so I got this information from, from other people, but it goes through a process of nuclear fusion to create the light and the heat that, um, that we receive. So fusion, coming from the verb to fuse, which is in... in um, the sun's case, it's a fusion of hydrogen atoms into helium. So you might remember from, if you ever paid attention in science class to um, the periodic table, hydrogen, which is the first element, which has one proton. So to fuse hydrogen is you have two hydrogen atoms, um, which has two protons, and you have to force these two protons to, to come together. And if you've ever held um, magnets and you try and put the same charged ends together, you can um, appreciate how how difficult this process is. So it takes a massive amount of en- it takes a massive amount of energy to um, to make that fusion happen. And what what energy? Um, how would you say it? The the processes of this energy is from heat and pressure. So pressure coming from gravity. Um, and gravity being made from matter. What's interesting, something that I found, is actually that apparently the sun contains 99.8% of all matter in our solar system, which is, is pretty crazy. So not the whole galaxy, not in the Milky Way, but just in our solar system. So to get back to that fusion kind of um, principle, you can tell that, well, you can see quite easily that 99.8% of, of all matter um, in the solar system seems like a lot uh, to, to create that pressure um, and to create that fusion. So somebody, I believe he's an astrophysicist, um, his name's Lawrence Krauss, and he, he says when hydrogen protons bind together, they lose mass, and that lost mass is what's converted into energy. 
And so this energy bounces around within the star, so within the sun for a while. Um, and when I say a while, this is this is a cosmic while. So in this case, it's it's like a million years or so or something like that, bouncing around inside the star until that energy escapes. And that escaping light is known as um, a photon. And a photon is the most it's the most basic unit of light. So the way that um, the way that I kind of think about it is that if you had a let's say you have a paintbrush, it's a really wide paintbrush, and you're you're slowly um, painting in a straight line, let's say, um, and traveling continuously in a straight line. That paint will eventually keep thinning and thinning and thinning and thinning um, up until you get the last drop of paint on um, on the canvas or whatever you're, you're painting on, that last drop kind of represents, is sort of the analogy of what a photon is. So it's that most basic, that basic unit. And it's interesting because photons, unlike things on the periodic table, they actually have no mass. So you can't, you can't weigh them. Um, and they travel really, really, really fast. They actually travel, and the name kind of, their, their, their um, function gives it away, they travel at the speed of light. So that's supposedly, or yeah, it is the, the fastest natural speed that any anything can travel at in the universe. Um, so a way to kind of, uh, what would you say, to of remembering this, or something that I wrote down at least, is that photons are on a million year wait list. They escape from a break on the sun's surface and because they are weightless, it takes way less time to travel. So they are the most amazing of spaceships. To plan it, it would take an eight minute ride in a straight line at the speed of light, which would see you from an afar star to our planet where we take in all that greatness. So I think it's pretty cool. I enjoy... Um, writing, would you call it a poem, it's not really a poem, but um, I enjoy saying things in that kind of manner because it kind of reinforces it um, to me, but there's definitely not going to be a rap coming out anytime soon of that. But anyway, so it's passing through the solar system. As I said, it takes eight minutes um, and the atmosphere, it, it, it reaches Earth's um, atmosphere and because Earth is round, it helps refract the light, so it bends um, in the atmosphere. So the Earth's atmosphere kind of acts as a lens for that light. So the light comes in, and let's say, for example, it hits a, a tree leaf. And we say, we, when, we, when we see that, we say that the, the leaf appears green. We call it green. But what's kind of interesting is that Green is actually the only color that the leaf is not. And the reason why this is, is because the, all, the, the, the leaf absorbs all the other wavelengths of light. So if you see a, um, if you see a rainbow, for example, it's got you know, the spectrum of visible light that we can see. Um, and the leaf will actually absorb all those other ones and ref reflect um, what we call green. Which is interesting because... 
when we talk about the nature of things, we talk about the nature of a of an individual of, of a person. We talk about their um, what would you say, their personality traits or something as being inherent within them, whereas with color, it's sort of the only thing that is inherently not them. Oh, that's my timer. So that was eight minutes actually. So from the beginning of this podcast to now, one photon or many photons of of light have come from the sun to reach you or whatever it is that you're looking at if it's not nighttime um, and you're using artificial light. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Where was I? Oh yeah, so the leaf actually reflects green. So really what it's saying, the green wavelength is saying, the green wavelength, sorry, is saying you can leaf me alone. That's... <laughs> How funny. No, I'm just joking. It can't get any cornier than that, can it? Oh, but wait, it can get cornier than that because what happens is the first place that that light gets to when it reaches your eye is actually called the cornea. So this is the the, the outer lay, layer, the outer um, protective layer of your eyes, so that first part. Um, I'm, I don't know the complete eye anatomy, so I'm going to break it down a little bit from here in kind of just the way that um, I've been taught, um, which is, I think is detailed enough. It would probably be boring if I went any more. Um, so it passes through the cornea and then reaches the aqueous, aqueous or aqueous humor. Um, and you can actually see this on side view. So if you have somebody staring straight and you stare at either side of their face, you'll actually be able to see this um, bulging, protruding region from the front of their eye. So what's the function of the aqueous humor? Um, well, what would it do? Well, aqueous, kind of like, well, I think I studied Spanish, um, kind of like agua, aqua, man, I guess you could say as well. Um, so it's to do with water. It hydrates you. Um, the humor part, let's just forget about that. Um, but yeah, so it hydrates you. It provides oxygen and nutrients and um, it's a, it's obviously it's a clear fluid. So it goes past there, and then there's the iris, which I think everybody knows is the colored part of um, your eye. Something I didn't know is actually that the iris is a ring of muscle, or there are muscles um, around it that, that actually determine your pupil size. And your pupil is really just the absence of the iris. It's just a hole, kind of like a donut, just in the middle... Um, of your eyeball. Um, <laughs> anyway, so then it goes past, so through the pupil and then behind the pupil is a lens and it's like a disc shape. And what it does is it actually, it goes flat or more spherical depending on, um, on your focal distance. So if you're staring, if you're looking at something that's really far away, it'll I believe it flattens, and then um, if it's something closer, then it, it becomes more spherical, more um, like a sphere. So it goes through there, and then this big part um, that's kind of, it's fluid as well, it's actually in the middle of your eyeball called the vitreous humor. Um, and that's what, that's what they say gives your eyeball its bulk, its bulkiness, which actually looks weird if you've ever seen a um, 
ever seen like a photo of it or whatever. So anyway, so this green light wave length travels through vitreous humor, passes through these cells, and then reaches the back of what's called the retina. This is where I think it starts to get really interesting. So the retina is made up of millions of cells known as photoreceptors. So photo might, the, the root of that word, or that is really the root of the word, but it's um, very similar to photon, which we spoke about at the, at the very beginning. So photon being the most basic unit of light. So we have photoreceptor, photon receptor. And so these photoreceptors come in two flavors. They're called your rods and your cones as well. So your rods, um, in terms of flavors, they're kind of like your more Smith's Chips original flavor. But they're interesting because they come in a family size packet. And what I mean by that is that we have about 120 million of them in our, in our eyes. Um, and they're your Smith's Chips original because they're plain in that they only process black, white, and gray um, features of, of, um, of light, I guess you could say. And then, uh, what else? So they don't pick up on too much um, fine detail, and they're mainly situated around the outer parts of, of the retina. By comparison, um, or in addition, I guess you could say, we also have our cones, which are your smaller packet of chips. And what I mean by that is that we have about 8 million of them. So we have about 120 million rods and about 8 million cones. But the cones are more interesting because in addition to just your black and white and gray, they also pick up on color and are more situated um, towards the center um, of your of your eyeball, so directly at the back, and so highly concentrated. They are what kind of give you um, that more HD dimension of um, of your vision. So there's a really, really um, focused area of cones at the very back of your eye, very, very central, um, and it's known as your fovea. Fovea? Fovea or fovea. Um, this is where Spanish would be easier because they put like a little, I'm not sure if you know this, but with um, a lot of those uh, European languages, how they have like the dots and stuff and, and dashes on top of it, they're called accents and they help you, um, they help you put stress on that word. So if you put a little dash on top of the O in fovea, or you put an O on top of the E and you'd say fovea. Anyway, massive tangent. Um... What was I saying? Fovea. Oh, yeah. So highly um, focused area. So what we actually do is when, when we move our head and, and when we move our eyes, um, what we're doing is we're, we're changing the, um, our attention with our fovea. And so these all make, make up um, the retina. And this is where... Trans, what's called transduction occurs. So transduction is converting an external, um, what would you say, external stimulus of some some sort, external energy, um, into a neural impulse, which is what our brain picks up on. This happens with your skin as well, with your um, with your ears, yeah, with with 
just about everything that, that gets converted into something that you can um, perceive. So coming back to, yeah, rods and cones, they're around the back of your eyeball. These are actually connected to a bipolar cell. It's bipolar because it has two, two ends to it. Um, and so it's connected to the um, rods and the cones, the photoreceptors. But then on the other side, it connects to a ganglion cell. And this gang, um, because there are many of them, ganglion of cells groups in together to form what's called the optic nerve. And a way of um, a way of visualizing this for yourself, it's kind of like you've got your ganglion cells, which are sort of like your fingers, and they they branch out, but then they come back into your hand, and then your hand runs up to your arm, and so that's the optic nerve. And this is this is what carries um, this is what carries yeah the signal into into your brain. And there's actually. It's interesting. There's a spot. Uh, there's a what's called an optic nerve bundle um, at the back of your eyeball, and it creates a, a blind spot. I didn't know this, and I'm not sure how many people do know this um, that we have a blind spot in our eyes. But there's a really interesting test that you can um, that you can do to see it, and it makes it crazy how we're even allowed to drive on on the road. But so if you if you, let's say, for example, you block your left eye with your left hand and you stick your thumb up and you hold your hand out directly in front or uh, you extend your arm out completely and hold it in front of your eyeball and then stare straight. If you move that thumb on your right hand to the right just a little bit, you'll actually notice, I'm doing it now, you'll actually notice that the thumb, or at least the thumbnail, um, disappears. What that, or appears, that doesn't make sense, appears to disappear, but it seems to disappear um, completely from, from existence. And the reason why this is, is actually that that's where your optic nerve bundle is at the back of your eye that then goes in towards the back of your head. I find that just just insane like that's just crazy um anyway so i hope you um had the opportunity to to try that because yeah that blew me away when i first saw that so that's the optic nerve it carries this information to what's called the optic chiasm which is just sort of like a meeting spot um and you may have heard that most people have heard this that the brain flips the images that we see so up and down left and right whatever in terms of its processing and the most, the most simple explanation that I can give, um, or at least I hope it's simple, is if you've ever looked at yourself in, in a spoon, you've ever seen it um, with the curved side facing you, you, you appear to be upside down. So the reason why this is, is that if you're holding the spoon, you've got the bottom edge of the spoon is actually facing upwards because of its curvature it's facing more upwards and you'll actually see that that's where the top of your head is represented moving up to the top of the spoon the, it's curved downwards so it's facing towards your the bottom of your torso let's let's say and so that's why you appear to be upside down the eyeball being 
curved as well does the same thing and it, it relays that signal back um, into your brain so that it can process things um, in in the correct way. So it it flips it, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my best way of sort of um, translating that into something that kind of makes a little bit more sense because the first time I heard it, um, it was kind of hard to sort of wrap my head around. So the optic chiasm sends, after, after it's gone past optic chiasm, it then becomes what's called the optic tract. And that passes through the thalamus, which kind of sits in the middle of your head. Um, and all sensory information, aside from smell, is actually um, processed by the thalamus. Smell's interesting because um, often smells, uh, if you've ever had a nostalgic feeling, um, smell is, is often a really, really good sensory tool to, to stimulate or to generate nostalgia. And the reason why that is, partly, is because smell is um, processed in sort of within the nose and, and a little bit um, beyond it. And it also sits, the, the part where it is processed uh, more fully is actually right near the hippocampus, which is responsible for... Um, your memories or a particular kind of memory. But um, the reason why that is, that, that's why you have that nostalgic feeling where it brings back a really strong, a really vivid um, memory for, for smell, perhaps more so than um, some other types of um, sensations. Um, anyway, so where was I? So it's gone through the thalamus. Then it sends, uh, which is in the middle of your head, then it sends the information to the back of your head to a place called the occipital lobe. This is in um, the brain. It sends it after the thalamus. It also goes to different parts of the brain, but that's not overly important. And I'm not too familiar with it um, at the moment. So we're in the occipital lobe now. And so if you put your hand on the back of your head, you kind of feel like a, there's like a bumpy bit where it so at the top of your neck and then it kind of bulges out a little bit more. That is around the region um, of, the, of your occipital lobe. So the first place it gets to, this, this vision, we're still talking about this green wavelength of light that's come off this leaf. Um, just turning my page. So the first place it gets to is the um, primary visual cortex. And... These two scientists that actually won a Nobel Prize in, I wrote down 1959, that could be wrong, but um, Hubble and Weasel, or Hubel and Weasel, they won the Nobel Prize for, for finding um, in this region of the brain at the back, simple cells. And these cells detect the orientation of an object. So for example, the leaf, whether it's upwards, uh, vertical or horizontal, the color, so in this case, green, the, the contrast and texture. And so what this then does, it's remapping the same um, kind of processes that had happened in, in, in the retina. After there, to kind of skip through, I'm sure it does a whole lot more um, complex, complex things, but after there, it goes through two pathways. One known as the dorsal pathway, so going from the back of your head traveling upwards, you can think dorsal like dorsal fin. Um, 
and then it also goes on a ventral pathway, which would be going um, around towards the ears. And in the dorsal pathway, the end result of, of that processing is it tells you where the, um, where the leaf is in terms of um, in space in front of you. And then for the ventral pathway, it tells you what it is that you're seeing. So in this case, you're seeing a leaf. It tells you the more complex elements aside from just you know, a bunch of lines of orientation and a little bit of color, it actually gives you that more um, rich perception of being able to identify, oh, that's a leaf. So a way that I remember uh, the, the difference between um, the dorsal and ventral pathways is you, you're thinking, where is the dolphin, dolphin dorsal fin? So that's the, that's the where pathway. So when it's going upwards, it's telling you where the object is. And the ventral pathway is what are you venting about if you ever have a stress. So that's telling you the what pathway, what it is that you're looking at. So where is the leaf is the top going upwards and what is it? It's a leaf. That's the ventral pathway. I hope that may have got a little bit confusing at the very end, but um, that's the way that it, it makes sense to me. So I hope you enjoyed that. I, like I said, I, I love that stuff, especially with vision. Um, so yeah, like I said, I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you've got any ideas of something else that you'd like me to, some other topic that you'd like me to explore, or even if there's something that you are passionate about, um, yeah, send me a message and I'd be, I'd be really keen to try and do a podcast with somebody else if, if anyone's interested, but if not, then I'll just keep chipping away at the things that I'm interested in. All good. Thanks for listening, everyone.